Oh, that, ouch. Yeah. Look at that. Not really. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Good times. Good times. Hey, also, we do have a small group uh, just going on with Chris and Connie Field focusing on marriage. And so if that's something you're interested in, I would encourage you also to look into that. Hey, just a couple of things uh, just for our youth that you, that you can know. Our, we're doing taking a mission trip to Costa Rica with our youth. And so our apps uh, from Costa Rica are due tonight. And uh, so I encourage you to make sure you, if you're planning on going that you would do that. And then for tonight, you're having your rave, neon rave dance party youth. So you might be excited. So make sure you, you dress in neon tonight and come be a part of that. It's going to be a lot of fun and uh, so good. All right. Hey, so it's really cool behind us. I came in this week and, and our design team was uh, was working on what we have behind us, this compass, right? Took down the wreath from the Christmas season and uh, put up the compass. And, and I love it because the you know, all understand the compass. The, the, when you're on a trek, you're on a journey, when you're out doing something crazy in the woods, right? Having a compass is important because I, and in that you can always kind of put it towards true north. And you can see what... All the directions are with south, north, east, and west, right? So you have this idea of a compass. And, and so what we're looking at in the context of this season is talking about the journey that God has us on. And hopefully the messages on Sunday morning will honestly act as a compass, that they will help direct and lead us in the context of the spiritual journey that each of us are on every day. That we these become these moments where we focus on Jesus, we focus on direction, we look at different journeys from Scripture, and in from that we learn so that we can take steps together towards Jesus. And so using these Sunday mornings honestly as a compass to direct us in the direction that we're going. This morning we're going to focus on a primary story from the Old Testament. And I want to say as we dive into the story in a minute that, in a minute that there honestly is power. There is power in history. There is power in history. Its power resides in the stories that it tells, right? And those stories that it tells from history, they teach us, they warn us, they awaken us, and they empower us. Stories are told so that we can learn from them. And either we can duplicate what was done in the past so we have the same success, or we steer clear of what we've learned from history and the stories of history. So we duplicate some sort of error in the context of history that we can learn for our own lives. So there is power in history because of the stories that it tells. In fact, the idea for each of us is that we have our own stories in life that we have learned from. So we don't duplicate those things. So each of us have our own history. Each of us have our own story. And one of the primary stories from history is the story of the Exodus, right? The story of God's people. They're enslaved by Egypt. And so God sends a redeemer, right, to come in and set them free. And this story is impactful because it primarily influences the world, the world, three of the world's largest religions. It influences Islam, it influences Judaism, and it influences Christianity. So when we talk about a story that truly impacts not just one section, right, one section of the world, no, it really, it really influences the majority of the world throughout history. And so this morning we're going to use the story of the Exodus as to teach us history. To act as a compass in the context of our own spiritual life, diving into 
the story of history that impacted so many people. So specifically for the Jewish people and throughout history, the story of the Exodus, you probably know this, was told again and again and again for the purpose of teaching men, teaching women and children alike about God's faithfulness, about humanity's propensity towards sin, and about God's love in the middle of that disobedience, right? That God ultimately was for them. The story is told the purpose of reminding people of their need, right? You need to listen to, have faith in, and obey God in the midst of your journey. And the story, honestly, is timeless. It was told then, and it's being still being told today. In fact, the story of the Exodus is so powerful because I don't know if you know, but it was a primary story being told in the time of slavery here in the United States of America. There's a primary story of people who were unjustly enslaved because of the color of their skin, and they adopted this story of Moses, a redeemer, coming, saying, we need to be set free. We need our own exodus. In the 1940s, Nazi Germany, Jewish people, millions of people being slaughtered simply because of their religion, Tell the story again and again to their children in the moments of difficulty. They tell the story of the Exodus as a reminder, a remembrance. If God did it here, then he can do it again. Throughout history, stories are told, and we can either look at them as simple history, or we can put ourselves into it. People throughout history, again, use the Exodus Redeemer Moses story. To recognize their situation and God's desire to set free, to redeem, break off chains and move them into a place of freedom. And so when we tell stories even this morning, as we tell stories over the upcoming weeks and months, I want you, hear this, I want you to put you into the story. I want you to put you into the stories. And it's a simple just practice that every time I read a story, every time I read a scripture with a story, every time I read a story, I'm finding a way to put myself into that story so I can learn from it in this person's journey, so I can learn from their strengths and I can learn from their weaknesses, the things they did well and the things they did poorly. I want you to put you into the story. And so when I read scripture, it's really important for you to know As your pastor, I practice and do this every time I read. I read something not just so I can learn with my head, but I put myself into a story so I can find myself in it so I can learn from their journey. We do it all the time. It's like that's why you, when you watch certain movies or read certain books, you've so grafted yourself into the story. What happens? You get emotionally drawn in. You find yourself celebrating in a celebration, and it's not even real, right? You're like you, you find yourself in tears because you've so put yourself in. You just, ah, you're weeping. And the funny thing is, is when you put yourself into stories, sometimes they're not great a story, but it still affects you. Like I'll never forget the first time I went to India after my girls had been born. So, so, so Sarah was. I was in the car seat thing with a wheel stroller, right? She was in the stroller thing, right? And we were and there for us how old she was. And so you get into Catherine, she was a little bit older because she's 15 and a half months older than Sarah. So she's able to say my name, that type of stuff. And she can kind of run around and, 
And so I'll, I'll never forget, like, we go to the airport, we say bye. I mean, Sarah's like, I mean, she's like this little. She has no idea what's happening. AK doesn't really know what's happening. It's just one of those deals, like, she's left. Like, I, I'm, I'm walking away, and she's like, oh, he's coming back, right? So literally every day, you can ask Randall, like, every day, Sarah's like, whatever, because she's an infant, right? But Anna Catherine cried every day, and I'll never forget calling home, right? In the context of that trip, I call home. And Randall just starts weeping on the phone, like, oh, this is great, right? This must be going really well with me gone. But the idea was this, that in the context of getting onto the plane, I get on the plane, I'm with all of my college students, right? And, and this movie comes on. And it wasn't like one of the, like, the screens now, like, right in front of you in the plane. It's like, with a big, ugly, like, kind of fuzzy screen up here, right? And so I'm sitting there, and this movie comes on. I've never seen, never heard of it, but, like, what else are you going to do on this flight this eight and a half hours just to, to France, right, and then to India? And so I'm watching this movie, and one of the, like, sub-stories, sub-plots of the story is just a, a random story about this man whose college-age daughter is growing up, and they're not as close as they used to be because she's kind of hiding things from him because that's just the nature of life, right? And I find myself watching a story that's not really that great, and I'm just literally tears streaming down my face, right? Because for the first time in my life, I could put myself into a story of having daughters. And I'm like sitting there, people are like, why are you crying? It's like, I don't know. I've got kids. I don't know. Leave me alone, right? <laughs> it's like, it's just like that. There's something so powerful about putting yourself into a story and someone else's story to find yourself in it. And when you do that, it, it doesn't just impact your mind, but it's your mind, it's your will and your emotions. That's the point of the Exodus. The story of the Exodus was told again and again. And again, and again, every, almost sometimes every night, in the context of whatever was going on in their life, it was every day, because they just had to tell the story. If God redeemed and set free here, then he'll do it again. And they put themselves into that story. And so the idea this morning, we want to identify, we want to connect ourselves into the story. So I'm I'm not going to read through, because there's like four whole books that talk about the Exodus. I'm not going to do that. But I want to pull out just a few pieces of the Exodus. You can go watch the movie, read the story for yourself, right? But I want just this morning, I'm going to pull out just a few different things. Number one, number one, in the context of our journey, as we are traveling, each of us are going to have our moments of clarity. That's number one. In our journeys, we're going to have moments of clarity. We all understand in our spiritual journey that there are moments of great spiritual clarity where we see God, we feel his presence, and we know confidently who we are and where we need to go. Each of us have those moments. Those moments you're going through life and all of a sudden it's like clarity, conviction, like I was going this direction, but I now know that's wrong, so I'm now going to go this direction, right? We each have these moments of like, oh my gosh, God is so real, God just spoke, and we find ourselves like, this is crazy, this is what I've been looking for, right? And so what we find here in the story of the Exodus, we're about to read it here in, in Numbers 33, is that we find this moment, this moment of clarity, where all of a sudden, all the dreams and all the aspirations and all the things these people have been looking for have all of a sudden come come to happen. It says this in Numbers 33, verse 3 through 4. The Israelites set out from Ramses on the 15th day of the first month, the day of the Passover. 
They marched out defiantly in full view of all the Egyptians who were burying all their firstborn whom the Lord had struck down among them. For the Lord had brought judgment on their gods. Like that one, those two simple verses, I just think speak volumes about what's going on in the life of the Israelites in the moment. That phrase, they marched out defiantly. I love that language, right? Here are proud, dignified people who have been harshly treated for many, many years. They've been crying out to God. They have their stories. They have their memories, but they're not experiencing it. They're crying out to God. God sends, right, Charlton Heston to come save them, right, Moses, right? He comes in and says, let my people go, right? You have the moment. You have that moment. And people are like, oh, my gosh. He fought. God heard our cries. And all of a sudden, they went from just being like this to standing and marching defiantly. Can you just feel that? Can you put yourself into that moment? You've had this moment in your own life where you felt torn down, beat up. People are like against you, and all of a sudden, someone fights for you. Someone brings justice. And what do you, you stand up? And what do you do? You look at those people as you're walking away, defiantly saying, No, this is who I am. It's a moment of clarity, it's a moment of breakthrough. It's a moment of knowledge of who God is, how he loves us, how he fights for us. All of a sudden, the enemy seems this little. I can crush him. He's got got nothing on me. It's a moment of clarity, right? Where these things, honestly, if we're honest, there's things that we dream of, we aspire to. It's honestly, it's what we anticipate in our relationship with Jesus, right? We aspire and expect our lives to be marked. But his moment of strength and defiance in the context of the way the enemy has oppressed, been oppressing us. These are moments where we are resolute. You get all the language, all the adjectives here, right? And my question as we continue on is simply this. If, can you name your moments of clarity? This is really important. Focus right here. Have you ever had moments of clarity? You have. Those moments when you knew I was living this way, oh, and I shouldn't, so I turned. Those moments of kind of breakthrough, moments of conviction, and you're like, oh my gosh, it's, it's why we sing that song, Here I Raise My Ebenezer, right? That song, an Ebenezer is simply an altar that we build to remember the moments of God's movement in my life. They raised their Ebenezer, they crossed over the Red Sea, and they would have built an altar in the place to remember the time that God split an ocean and destroyed an army because he loved them. Do we have those moments? It may not be literally that, right? But it is our own Red Sea moment, our own moment of breakthrough, our own moment of conviction, our own moment of truth that broke into the lies that we believed, and we went and told somebody about it. 
It's so funny being a pastor because literally, like, I talk to people, but, like, I have, like, serious conversations with people, like, on a quarterly basis, maybe. Then it's like, hey, hug, love you, whatever it may be. It's kind of like everybody else in life does with some of their friends, right? And so I'll sit with people, and then there's moments, like, after a sermon, after worship, or after youth camp, or after man camp, hopefully, there's these people come to me, oh, my gosh, this is what God said. And they take out their journal, if they're a girl, and they tell me and read the things that God did. Right? You know what I'm saying? Oh my gosh, this is what God spoke. Like, oh man, I'm just so excited. And da 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 da, right? You know what I'm getting at? Like, yeah, man, it was really cool. Man, like God really moved. Whatever it is, right? If you're a guy. So, but you hear those moments. And so they come and, and so you know what I do? In my mind, I build an Ebenezer of memory about what God's done for them. That's what I remember about them. Oh, God's doing this. And I then, for the next three months, live with the conviction that what they said was true, so that's happening and God's moving them. So I see them three months later. How are you? Oh, everything's terrible. I just don't know if I can make it, man. I don't even know if Jesus is real anymore, right? And I'm like, wait a second. We had the moment of clarity, right? You, we built an Ebenezer together. It was an altar before the Lord. It's a memory that I have, have you forgotten? Because I haven't, right? And if it was true, then it's true today. It's a moment of clarity. And so what I would say for us in these moments, these are moments, listen, these moments, and this is so important, these moments are primarily important in our journey because they become a foundation moment we can always return to when difficult moments come. That's why we can't forget them. Start journaling. Start voice texting yourself these things that you can put in. Because when your difficult moments come, you have to be able to remember the moments of clarity and go back and say, no, God said, God did. I remember. I remember moments of clarity. It's why we tell stories in the first place. Stories were created to be memories that we would never forget so we would have wisdom in the context of our journey. Moments of clarity are vital to our success, and we must always, maybe even on a daily basis, return and return and return. And it's why it's imperative that you tell other people. Why? Because they'll remember for you. Because I'll be honest, when that person comes to me after those three months and starts talking about this, I don't really, I have like, oh, I'm so sorry, but... Come here. Let me return you back to what you said. Let me return you back to what God did. Let me just return you back to who God is in your life. Yeah, but. There's no but. If he spoke it, it's still true. End of story. Stories cause us to return to what we know to be true but have forgotten along the way. Stories, again, they cause us to return to what we know to be true but have forgotten along the way. One of the phrases that I live by is I never question in the dark what was so clear in the light. And all I mean by that is like in these moments of clarity, it feels like a moment of light. Oh, right? Ding, bulb goes off. Yes, I finally understand. I have knowledge. I, I get it. Yes. Yes, this is who I am. This is who God is. I mean, yes, I will never, I will never forget this, right? Until I do, right? 
And I get over here and like, well, well, but maybe, right? I never questioned over here in the dark what was so clear in front of God in the light. Do you see that? I never question in the dark these things like confusion, like coming in, lies. I never, que- I never gonna, listen, I never questioned what was so true in the light. God, I've become, a, I've become one who always remembers what you did in these moments of clarity. So that's number one, the journey we learn from them, right? But number two, in the, see, the story shifts. Like in the middle of their journey, in the middle of their journey, they experience moments of crisis, right? They had this, I'm defiant. Yeah, some of them were like, yeah, putting their nose up, like, yeah, you know, whatever, just like doing inappropriate things, maybe to the to the to the to the, to the uh, with Egyptians, right? And some have compassion, whatever it may be, but they're all walking in defiance. They're all walking in defiance until they get out, and there's this moment of crisis. Our moments of clarity, of great breakthrough, our mountaintops, they will always give way to moments of crisis all the time. To think that we were made for mountaintops. Only this side of heaven, it discredits the entire gospel story, the story of the early church, and the promise we have of experiencing trials of many kind in James 1. To think that we're just made for mountaintops discredits the entire story of Scripture, all of Scripture, including the stories of Jesus, the disciples, the early church, leading all the way through to the Revelation. You've ever read it before, the prophetic about the end times, right? Like all of that speaks that there's going to be moments of crisis, Tension things, moments of difficulty, it's going to be hard so much that you're going to just want to die it's so hard. And so to think that we're just made for mountaintops and camp experiences, it just denies the whole record of the gospel and the whole story of Scripture. And so in this, right, Our journeys, we have to realize our journeys will be marked by crisis. The journey of the Exodus, I love this, and this is something that may be new to some of you. I thought it was really interesting. The journey of the Exodus, it speaks to God's understanding of human nature when we hit crisis. God speaks into a moment after the Exodus, after like they literally leave and their moment of defiance, and almost immediately speaks about a moment of understanding how human beings handle crisis. It says this, as they walked out of Egypt from slavery, in Exodus 13, verses 17 through 18. You can just follow along with me or turn your Bibles if you have one. When Pharaoh, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road to the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, hmm, if they face war... They might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people the long way, basically, around the desert road towards the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. So a few things that we see. Number one, they're ready for battle. It's the last thing it said. Basically, it's speaking to the fact they're walking out defiantly with all their pitchforks and saying, yeah, dare you. We're ready to fight. Whatever we come up across as we're walking across the desert, whatever we're going, like, man, yeah, we're ready to fight. And so Moses, again, he just, this reminds the people, yes, like they, this is where they are. They are defiant. They are in this moment of clarity. They're ready to fight, right? But literally just after that, God recognizes they might run away when it gets hard. 
They might just run straight back to Egypt if fighting comes, because they're like, he recognizes they think that they're ready for all of this stuff, but I recognize that they don't even know what they're getting themselves into. And he says, so they might go back. They might go forward in it. They might go back. So to make sure, to make sure they don't run back into slavery, I'm going to take them on the long path. Because the long path means they're going to look back and go, well, this isn't great itself in crisis, but that's not much better. So I guess we got to keep on going forward. And what we find in this story, right, he knows people make great declaration, promises about what they do. But when things get hard, when they hit difficult stretches in their journey, sometimes it's just easier to go up, rather go, go up and go back rather than continue to move forward. The idea is this, these crises, right, they lead us to crossroads, and we either keep on going or we go back. Whether we trust the Lord, saying the long path is actually better, or we try to take the shortcut back, knowing it's going to lead us right back to where we are. It's a powerful, powerful statement and this reality that sometimes, sometimes God just recognizes my gift to you is the long path. My gift to you is the most difficult. So the third thing we see in this is that then God had a plan. That's the plan. God had a plan. And it wasn't the easy route. Look at verse 18 again. God did not lead them on the road to the Philistine country because it was the easier path, though it was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert and toward the Red Sea. The longer, more difficult path was the best path. It made turning back less likely. Obviously, much can be said here, but suffice to say this morning that in our journey, the easiest is not always the best, meaning sometimes the hardest path is the greatest path to help us reach our promised land. Sometimes the hardest path is the greatest path to help us reach our promised land. I'll never forget several, I was talking to Logan about that, about this this week, and I remember the season, it was actually while, he was, while I was here at Vintage, and, and it was just a difficult season. It was one of those deals, like every day, every day, right, just carried its own thing among itself, and, and I remember reaching a point, I remember just saying to the Lord, I was not complaining, I was just being honest with him, like, God, uh, I'm just tired of everything being so hard. That was me being honest. No complaints, right? I was absolutely complaining. God, why is it so hard? Seriously. Just can't it be easier, God? I mean, like, literally, it's been nonstop. It's so, so hard. And so in that moment, God began to lead me on this journey, kind of like my own time of prayer and things I was studying. I mean, just everything I turned to talked about the nature, the nature of tension. And that in the context of, of life, in so many different parts of life, hear this, there is actually no growth apart from tension. Sort of thing about in the natural realm. So if any of you ever watched television or National Geographic or owned a farm or seen this, you watch a baby chicken, right? It's in the egg, all of a sudden the egg starts moving, and all, all of a sudden you can recognize, like, all of a sudden a little piece pops off. Because that chicken's inside with its beak just kind of, kind of knocking it off. And you start watching this thing. If you're going to watch this, it's painful. It's like this long, laborious, like, 
this is the worst thing ever for poor Buddy. I mean, like, this is so hard, it's difficult. What tension? Like, he definitely can't be enjoying this whole thing in the egg. I mean, he's stuck in this place. He just wants to get out. And then he gets to a point like, he can actually see out. He can't even get out, though. That's even worse, right? I'm just stuck in. And you just want to, like, kind of help him. You know, like, get it, like, you know, like, you're just, like, doing like this while you're watching TV on or whatever it is. But the idea is very simple. That if a chicken does not actually get itself out on its own, then its neck and its body is not strong enough for it to sustain growth. It has to go through the difficulty of getting itself out of this, in this long, drawn-out journey of tension and frustration for it to be healthy. To reach the promised land of no egg, right? <laughs> no more shell. I mean, listen, do I need to describe birth to you for your own children? I mean, it's like, women, is there tension in that? I watched Randall twice. It was not fun, easy for her. I loved it. It was great, right? But it was, not, it was hard for her. It was like, I mean, they're annoying, ah, right? Whatever, it was just loud. It was like, oh, my gosh. You know I'm getting at? I mean, seriously, God literally in my prayer time was like, Steve, don't you remember childbirth? I'm like, oh, my gosh. What tension to reach the promised land of two beautiful girls. Best two days ever. It was tension. And then God showed me Jesus, that Jesus really couldn't have been the Jesus that he was in being Jesus Messiah if he had not first gone into the desert to be tempted and tried by Satan for 40 days and 40 nights. Preparation for ministry for Jesus was dependent on him having tension. They didn't just hang out in the desert playing cornhole or something. Man, it was brutal. It was so brutal for Jesus that the angels had to come and minister to him. It was like, it was like round one and they fight and they come back to the corner. And it's like, okay, you're going to be okay. You can do this, Jesus. You can do it, right? Okay, here we go. All right, next one. Here we go. Oh, right. Okay, and the angels come back to him and minister to him again. Why? Because it was hard. Tension. It was overwhelming. God had a plan. Tension was a gift. The long route was a gift to grow them and to mature them in who he wanted them to be. Consider this. I mean, nobody likes this verse. It's one if you could choose, you would take it out of the Bible. James 1, 4 through 6. Tell me if I'm wrong here. Read it. It says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your hope and confidence in God, your faith, produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Let's just break this down. Hey, I want you to find great joy when all hell breaks loose in your life and you simply want to turn and run back to slavery. That's what it's saying. Consider it pure joy when all hell breaks loose in your life. And it's so bad that it literally tests whether or not you trust and believe in God anymore at all. But let me tell you, you have to go through this and persevere to get from one side to the other if you're actually going to be mature and complete and not lack what you need to be successful in your spiritual journey. I mean, I would love to rewrite that. Consider it pure joy when the enemy goes through trials of many kinds, right? No, he's talking that this is a gift. Trials, tension, 
difficulties, whether we like it or not, are a gift to grow us, to mature us. And here's the point. All tension leads to greater effectiveness in ministry. Do you know that Paul saw, saw Paul? He literally got knocked off a donkey, received his sight back, and went into a desert for three years for development and training before he went into full-time ministry. Let me tell you something. Deserts aren't easy. It's a desert. Why do they call them desert moments? Because they're deserts. They're not easy. They're hard. And for Paul, tension of going in. We don't know much of the story, but like God said, like he went. And so if you want to continue on, Stephen, persevere into this place I have for you to be mature and complete and lacking in nothing. In the context of ministry that you're doing every day, you've got to persevere. Persevere, son. Don't go back to Egypt. Learn from these stories. Because the third part, the third part is this. Then the journey does require faith. The journey, journey requires faith. You all understand faith. It speaks to a confidence and a trust in God fighting for us, even when we were having a hard time seeing it or feeling it. Right? I'm just going to say that again because some of you like that. Faith speaks to a confidence and a trust in God fighting for us, even when we're having a hard time seeing it or feeling it. Listen, when the Israelites finally arrived at the promised land for the very first time, you know the story? Moses sent out that exploration group. Right, exploratory group. There's 12 of them representing the 12 tribes, and so they all go. And Caleb and Joshua are two of them, and so they go in, and and, and it's beautiful, right? In Numbers 13, 27 through 28 is kind of the testimony or, uh, of of 10 of the 12, and they say this: We went into the land which with which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. It's awesome, right? Here's its fruit. Look at it, right? But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Enoch there. Enoch represents like giants, right? They, they looked into the land like, oh my gosh, we're like grasshoppers to them is what they said later, right? They look like giants, and we can never overtake it. They are scared, right? They feel weak in the moment. They can never defeat the army in their mind, right? And we recognize so many of our own journeys. Remember, you're putting yourself into the story. You are putting you into the story. Like, we get to this thing, yeah, yeah, oh, this isn't what I anticipated. This is so much harder. Oh, my gosh. I don't know if we can do this. I mean, it's all my energy is to get here to this moment. I'm just going to continue on with what God has. This is so much. I'm just going to turn back around, right? And, and I love it. I love it. The next verse Caleb, Caleb silenced them. Go to the next verse. It says, then, speaking on behalf of he and, and Joshua, then Caleb silenced the people before Moses said, we should just go up and take possession of the land. We can certainly do it. Right? He didn't like some massive preamble, some huge body of defense, and then get down to the bottom and like defend his argument from the first place. He just says, no, no, we should just go up and take, we should go up and take possession of the land. We can certainly do it. <laughs> right? And you're like, that's crazy. What's going on in the mind of, of, of Caleb and Joshua? We get a little bit of that numbers 31. It says, because they have not followed me, Moses speaking about all the people who did not trust and believe. Because they have not followed me wholeheartedly, right? They walked in disobedience. Not one of those who were 20 years old or more when they came up out of Egypt, We'll see the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not anyone except Caleb, son of whatsoever, and Joshua, son of none. For they followed, listen, for they followed 
the Lord wholeheartedly. Wholeheartedly. Single-minded devotion to God. Faith. So let's just kind of tease that faith out a little bit. Why would they be so confident? Look at the other verse for me, what Caleb said. All right. Why would Caleb go, guys, guys, just stop. Seriously. Stop the whining. Stop the complaining. Let's just be honest. We should just go up and take possession of the land. We can certainly do it because don't you remember the altar we built? Don't you remember when Moses came in and God fought for us with the plagues? Don't you remember when we walked out defiantly in the context of clarity of what we knew to be true because God was for us? Don't you remember when we took that long path and we came to the Red Sea and all we had before us was a massive body of water? And we could either go this direction or we could go back towards the army that was coming after us. And we prayed and God opened up a stinking ocean for us to walk through. And then when he gave us the grace to get to the other side without actually being attacked, right, actually receiving any casualties, then all of a sudden as the army goes in, as the army goes in, then the waters descend and kill all of it. And then we get here. And you don't think he's still with us? Wholehearted devotion, single-minded belief and faith that if God was doing it, he would continue. We have faith. This morning, this morning, each of us are on our own journey. Each of us must remember this story. We have to find ourselves in it. We have to learn from it so we don't make the same mistakes or we make the same decision that Joshua and Caleb said. And we just come to everything and go, well, we should just go take possession of that land and conquer the enemy because we certainly can do it because God's with us. Don't you remember the altars? Don't you remember what he said? And so for us this morning, these three things are on the screen. Remember your moments of clarity. Like, honestly, y'all, it's the true story. I tell stories from when I was 12 to myself. I tell stories to myself of when I was 14. I tell stories when I was 15. I can just sit here. They're like I'm reliving them in my brain as I'm even saying the, 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 the age. I remember stories I'm 16, right? I remember stories of running. I was at youth camp one year. And I'll never forget this guy put this song on, this guy who was leading the time. And I remember... The song came on, and I just ran to the altar, weeping before the Lord, crushed and broken because of my sin, but primarily because of God's goodness and his love. I remember that. I remember the moments of laying hands on sick people and seeing them healed. Talking about words of knowledge a second ago, I remember being and leading a college ministry versus a girl sitting on a stool, and I looked at her, and I'm like, and I just knew what was going on in her life. I looked at her and said, there's someone really important in your life named John. Who is he? And in my mind, I'm like, it's his dad, but I was afraid to say it. She goes, that's my dad. And I just looked back at her. I, don't, I didn't know her from Eve, right? I looked at her and said, I felt the Lord saying that he left your home sometime around the age of three and a half, and you really haven't known him since. And she just began to tear up, right? 
And I said to her, the Lord is saying he's redeeming that, and by the end of the year, you'll be reconciled with your father. And I went, oh, crap. Because <laughs> right? I put a time on it, right? But literally what I said to the Lord, oh, crap, you better, buy, you better follow through on it. Less than a year later, she, I walk into a large room of about 500 people, and I see someone running full speed. And she comes running, and she grabs me and hugs me and then pushes me away. She's like, everything happened just like you said. Literally a week later, my dad called, and he apologized for all of the last, whatever it was like, 16 years of being separated from me. And he apologized. We began this process. And literally like three weeks ago, he literally reconciled completely. And we had this unbelievable relationship. And I'm so in love with my dad, just like God said I would. And I was like, oh, that was an Ebenezer for me. I actually can hear God's voice. It's so powerful, right, to remember your moments of clarity. And then when I do, it gives me hope that I can anticipate my moments of crisis and handle them. And handle them. They're going to come. It's going to be hard. Things are going to be difficult. People are going to be mean. People are going to say bad things, whatever it may be. And if I forget, because I'm not anticipating these moments, I'm not preparing myself. Journal, write things down, whatever it takes for you. And because when we do those things, then faith will arise. As we, listen, as we read through Scripture, put ourselves in the stories, as we read Scripture, faith arises. Because we can tell ourselves, no, this is who God is, and this is who I am in His midst. This is who God is, and this is what He does in our lives. I tell the stories about God's move of moments of clarity. This is my own personal life. I remember when I was 12, 13, 14, 16, 18, 20, 21, 20. I can literally, every year I can tell you a story of some massive moment of God's breakthrough. I look back and said, if he did it there, then he will do it again. Do not get in my way. I'm defiant when the enemy comes. Let's be defiant when the enemy comes. Let's pray. Father, we stand in this moment, Lord, and I know it just got emotional, so people's emotions are probably stirring. So, Father, I pray you would take emotion and move it into concrete reality for people. That, Lord, this moment, not just be the Israelites who are defiant and you going, well, they could just go backwards. It's a 50-50 chance. We'll see what happens. Take them along the long journey. Let's just see how it goes. Lord, I pray, Father, just for those who are going through the long journey right now, the long road. I just pray for grace, your ability, your help in the moment, God. I pray you would speak into it. I pray, Father, for those Lord, who, who feel a little helpless in the moment. I just pray for breakthrough. I pray, Father, this morning that your love would overwhelm us, that hope would arise in Jesus' name. I pray, Father, that you would help us. God, some of us, Lord, we've, just, we've, we've grown so focused on the now, we can't remember anything that you've said. All we can remember is the right now that we just can't hear your voice. And so we think that defines you forever without remembering. No, he's already spoken again and again and again. I pray, Father, that you would help us this morning. Take steps. God, into these memories of clarity, 
taking, being honest about our crises and allowing faith to arise inside of us. So Jesus, come and have your way. This morning, I just simply want to invite you to respond. Right? We have offering baskets available each week. This is our act of worship, just saying before the Lord, everything that I have belongs to you. We have communion available every week. It's remembering the power of the gospel of Jesus and that's alive for us today. He's come to save us and to set us free. And then we have ministry teams available on both sides. And they simply want to just pray for you. Because some of you on journeys are like, I'm just struggling. And they want to pray for you in the struggle. So that's you. We invite you to come and to get ministry. If you, and the beautiful piece of our time here this morning is Aaron and Stephen are going to lead us and, and, and worship. And I invite you to sing. I invite you just to sit before the Lord. Just I'm willing to like to do sometimes when I'm just, I feel overwhelmed, those moments of tension, is I honestly just like to sit before the Lord and imagine like his, a waterfall just flowing of his grace, his mercy, his compassion, his love just flowing over me. Charles Finney once said, he said, that, he said God overwhelmed me like liquid love. that just overwhelmed every part of my being to the point that I had to ask him to stop because it was too much. I want that. I want you to have that. Sometimes just sits. If you're going to sit this morning and just allow him to wash forever, you can do that. But either way, I just invite you this morning for the next five, ten minutes, just engage Jesus on a, maybe in a way you haven't, maybe all week, all month, all year, maybe ever in your life. Once you respond to the Lord.